0: listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find
1: ways to get involved go to citylightsouth.org.au. Two brief readings one from John chapter 13 uh, 34 and 35. Jesus talking he said a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you that you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And our second reading is from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you.
0: Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Jody. And good morning to all of you joining us here and uh, online or listening to the the podcast later on. It is uh, my joy to be here and really um, bring us to kind of the culmination of the, where we've been going the past five weeks. And it's been an interesting five weeks. The first two of them, we were uh, online and, um, and now we're here for the last three. And so I'm so glad that this week uh, I was praying, I wasn't sure whether we are going to, you know, it's a week-to-week thing. So, so glad we can do this together as a family, that we can see each other's faces, um, that we can sing together, um, that we can enjoy beautiful weather. It's just, yeah, God's mercy has been apparent to us, um, even with all of the the really tough things going on, as, as Jody was mentioning and prayed, praying about. So, yeah, I just add my encouragement as well to keep keep praying, keep trusting the Lord, who is on the throne, who is ruling and reigning, even through all of the very difficult and heavy headlines that we read on a daily basis. Um, so this is the climax of kind of the culmination of our series that we've been called that we've called "This Is Us," um, a look at church membership, a look at what it means that we belong to Jesus as Christians and we belong to one another as members of a local church. Over the past couple of weeks we really narrowed the question down to from the you know the biblical foundations of church belonging and church membership down to this question of what must i do to become a church member and uh, from from a biblical perspective not the logistics uh, we'll talk about that at the at the family meeting in just a little bit but what are some of the prerequisites to have in place before becoming a church member and so one of those is it seems obvious but it's worth stating you need to be a christian you need to Have faith in Jesus alone, that his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, that work is finished and that work is enough that you, if you call on him, you will be saved as he has promised. That your conversion, your inclusion in the family is on the basis of his work. So to have faith in Jesus alone, that's prerequisite Number one, to be a church member. The second one we looked at a couple weeks ago is that you be baptized as a believer or that you are a believer trusting in your baptism as an infant. So to be baptized. And then the third thing that Tyson looked at, walked us through so well last week, is that to be a church member, you need to have a heart of generosity. You, you come into church membership, you come into belonging to a local church, not simply to receive but to give and to serve and to be for uh, the, the church and before the people who are here and fellow members with you. So that's the, some of the prerequisites that we've laid out. So if you're just joining us today or you've been tracking with us the whole way, um, this might seem, this whole thing of membership might seem like we're making a big deal about something pretty small. I mean, can't we just, as God's people, carry on having Sunday gatherings and putting on events and and preaching the gospel without worrying about this whole sort of formal kind of jumping through hoops uh, of membership And don't the risks of doing this, of being confusing or perhaps being, you know, putting up extra barriers, um, don't, don't those risks outweigh the benefits? And to that, I'd say that the main reason, well, the main reasons, and there are two, that we're even doing this at all, we're even bothering this with this at City Light Church, City Light South Church, is that we see a strong precedent for this in the Bible. If we didn't see this in the Bible, we wouldn't bother with it. Um, we are, this is, there's not one chapter and verse that you can turn to. It says, thou shalt have a formal membership role in all, in all of this. It's implied in a few, and I'm going to look at a few more this morning. And so we can happily get alongside uh, many, w- w- with, with individual Christians as well as other churches that don't have this process. We're not doing this because we think we're better than, than other churches that do it differently. Not at all. This is just simply based on what we see in Scripture, and I'm per- doing my best to present that um, to you. So we see church membership is not only biblical, but we also see it as beneficial, beneficial to you, beneficial for your soul, beneficial for us as a family, as the people of God. So that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to be try to be fairly succinct, which is a challenge for me at times, but I'm going to try um, this morning so that we can get into the, the meeting after this. So let me pray, and and then we'll, we'll jump into the Word. Father, thank you um, that we can come to you again um, this morning. I ask now that you would help me clearly um, open and explain and apply your word to do that um, well and helpfully, Lord, that we would see in this conversation about church membership, we would see it in scripture, and we would see the benefits, the joy that comes from belonging to a local church, and and specifically to this local church. Lord, we need your help. We don't want to do this. I don't want to do this um, with any sense of uh, of pride or, or self righteousness at all, Lord, but humbly submit to, to you and to your word and your will, uh, for your glory and for our joy. So help us now, and we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So Neil read two of the three texts that I'm going to kind of we're going to look at briefly over the next few moments. The first one that he read t- to you was John 13. And I mentioned it in the very first week. So four weeks ago, uh, we, we did a, I did a, a little bit of um, uh, show, trying to show us how church membership is implied, or at least belonging to a local church is implied in Jesus' command to love one another. So let me read it again. Jesus said this to his disciples the night before he was crucified. He said, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. And he just finished washing their feet. When he said this, just as I have loved you, you're to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So he says it's a new command. What do you mean when he says it was a new command? Because if you look back to the Old Testament, there's plenty of commands in the Old Testament to both love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So that aspect, the idea that we're to love our neighbors, was not a new command for the disciples. They were already very familiar with that command. So why does he call it a new command? command. Jesus says elsewhere in the, the Sermon on the Mount that we're not just to love our neighbors, but also our enemies. So Jesus has already talked about love and our obligation to love all people who are born in God's image. So, but this is something slightly different. There's something new or unique and specific about this, and that is that we are called to love one another. It's the one another. That's the new aspect. And who are the one and others? Well, they are other followers of Jesus, other Christians. There is a special and specific love that we are called to give brothers and sisters in the family of God. Not so that we neglect to love those who are not in the family of God, but there's a special and specific love for those who are in the family. So how do we go about then obeying that command? How do we follow this new command to love one another? Can't we just, for example, Can I just love the other disciples of Jesus who happen to live under the same roof as me? Is that how I've fulfilled that command, by loving my own biological family? Well, I would say it's a really good thing, and it's a necessary thing to love the people in your household. However, I don't think Jesus had that in mind here, because Loving one's biological family, one's own children and parents and siblings, was expected and is expected in every culture, whether you're a Christian or not. Jesus is saying something specific and unique to his disciples. He says, if you love in this way that I'm talking about, if you follow this new command, other people are going to notice, and it's going to look different. How is it going to look different? Well, it's not going to look different if we just go through the societal expectations to love the people in our own household. That doesn't stand out. What is going to stand out in the culture? It's going to stand out when men and women who would, if they were not Christians, if they were not in a family together and seeing each other, worshiping together, breaking bread together, taking communion every single week together, that these men and women would most likely not only not love each other, but actually hate each other. You're going to see this working itself out later on in the church. if you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see people who are in very different coming from different backgrounds, different ages, speaking different languages, different ethnicities, people that would Would have extreme levels of prejudice and hatred and histories with each other that were not good. And here you would see representatives, men and women from these various groups, they would gather in a family by choice and share meals together and love each other. See, that is the kind of love that stands out because it's unexpected, it's unusual. And that's the kind of love that Jesus is calling his disciples to. And this happens clearly when brothers and sisters are gathered regularly around the word of God and around the table on a weekly basis, breaking bread, listening to the word of God, repenting, confessing and repenting of sin together, growing in grace together, worshiping God together. So be committed to love this particular group of people called the local church. But then that leads me to another question. Why can't we love other Christians who might be different from us, but without all the trappings of the organized church? You, you hear this a lot. These are people, sometimes we have these questions. Sometimes people outside the church have these questions. Say, you know, we love Jesus, but we don't love the organized religion stuff. We don't love the institution of the church because that's where it all goes wrong. That's when it becomes all about money and power and, 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 and you know, warring factions and, 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 and splits and conflict and all of this. So can't we just do away with all of that? And, and just stick with loving a few other uh, Christ followers, a few other Christians? Um, am I saying, for example, that this command to love, that we can't obey that without having and being a part of a formal organized body? I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm not saying it that strongly, anyway. You can't just say it from just one verse. So I'm going to take you to another verse, and this is the one that uh, we, ha- we didn't read. Um, so if you have your Bible... Flip over to Matthew chapter 18, uh, starting verse 15. Matthew 18, 15. This is also the t- from the teaching of Jesus. Now, this passage is a clear, practical way that Christians who might otherwise hate each other, Christians who have stuff between them, uh, sin and hurt and offense and wounds between them, it, it's, Jesus gives them a strategy, a, a roadmap, if you like, of, of what to do about that. Of, of how to solve those issues, how to be reconciled and make peace between people when there is hurt and sin and pain between them. Because in the world, when that happens, if you have conflict with someone, you've got a couple of choices. You can, you know, choice A, you can just cut that person out of your life. Don't even worry about it, just, just move on. Choice B, you can, um, you, you know, you can get revenge. You can just try, find ways to either covertly or aggressively get revenge on this person who has hurt you. But now for the Christian, Jesus says there's option C. It's actually the only option. We as Christians don't have the option to just cut people out of our lives. We don't have the option to just go and try and get revenge. Here's option C. He says you try to restore the relationship. That may not, it may not always be possible, and, and Jesus is real about that. But you walk the road of peacemaking and reconciliation. That's, that's the roadmap for the Christian, is to walk the road of peacemaking and reconciliation. So Jesus says this, verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone, privately. If he listens to you, then you've won your brother. And that's the ideal outcome. That's what we all hope for, but we know that doesn't always happen. It's not usually that quick and easy. Verse 16 says, but if he won't listen, um, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every, every fact may be established. This idea of taking two other people with you um, is not for the sake of having like a posse where you're going to try to outnumber the, your opponent. That's, that's not the point. The, the point is these people are to called to be Other Christians who are mature who are called to listen and be impartial and listen to the facts of the dispute, but also then watch and see how the two parties who are at dispute with each other, how they are treating with one another in the context of that dispute. So, these are mature, as I said, Christian men and women whose aim is to bring about reconciliation between these two who have had conflict. Where do these people come from? Are they are they just any random people? I don't I don't think so. Um, the, this idea of two or three fellow witnesses comes back to the Old Testament. It was it, there was in, in the Old Testament when there was an offense like um, read through De- De- Deuteronomy. If there's a, you know people are if somebody accuses another person of a sin like idolatry. Or, or or they happen to find um, someone who's been murdered, and they're trying to investigate. This is back before the days of established police forces and things like this. There was a clear, structured, organized way to go about dealing with this issue, to try to establish guilt or establish innocence between people. It's defined two or three witnesses, and these people were identifiable, and they were, in a sense, under oath before God to tell the truth and to be impartial and not show favoritism. And the same thing is true here. The same principles are in place here. There's a, there's a formalized way of dealing with It's not random. So, verse 17, he says, if the, the, he doesn't pay attention. This is the accused sinner here. doesn't pay attention to them with the witnesses. Then you, what do you do? You tell the church. Now this is interesting because at this point, this is just Jesus and His disciples. There's no formal, organized church yet. Jesus is looking forward and anticipating the establishment of the church. And the Greek word for church here is the word ecclesia, which means assembly or gathering." These are a recognized group of believers in a particular place gathered. He's not talking about the universal church. Go, you know, you got a problem with somebody, you get on social media and tell the world. That's not what he's saying. He's saying tell the church. means the local church, the church you belong to, the church you're connected to. Jesus isn't saying that whenever you've got an issue with another Christian, that you involve every other possible Christian. No, it's a particular group of people so, so what happens then if the offending party still doesn't repent, even when the case is brought to the whole church? Jesus goes on. He says, if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him then be a Gentile or a tax collector to you. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, the members of that particular local church, these are particular people They will listen to the case, and then they will render a judgment. And if they decide that this person is, in fact, has sinned and is not repenting of that sin, it says you treat that person like a Gentile. What does that mean? You put them out of the church. There is the assumption that that person was a church member, is currently a church member, but based on their actions and their refusal to repent, you put them out. They are no longer a church member, or at least they're not a member in good standing. Now, what does that assume? This assumes that there are people in that particular church who are considered members and those who are considered not members. It assumes that people are going to be put out of the church in this situation, extreme circumstances, because they were at one stage in the church. So this whole system that Jesus sets up for reconciliation assumes that church membership exists if you're tracking with that there. So you, this, basically what I'm trying to get you to see from this passage is that the road to peacemaking and reconciliation goes through the local church and it goes through church membership because you can't be put out of a church if you were never in it. Jesus doesn't want us just to have like random, any, every Christian to have random blacklists of g- the good people and the bad people. There's this formal way of doing this so that it prevents us from simply playing favorites and forming cliques and everybody has their own little group. No, no there's a structure here for our, for our good. Obviously, that structure can be and has sadly been abused at times, but that's not why the structure exists. And simply because it's been abused in the past doesn't mean we should get rid of it. Which is why it does my head in a little bit when Christians get to the end of this passage in Matthew 18. And they completely miss the context of what Jesus is saying. We get to verses 19 and 20. Again, Jesus, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you. By my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And how do we often use this verse we often use it in the context of prayer. I really want this thing. I really need this prayer to be answered, so I'm going to get two or three people to pray with me. Then God will be more likely to hear me. It's not what Jesus means. This is not about individualized prayer. This isn't about prayer meetings. This is not, certainly not, about this idea that I don't need to be a part of a local church because I can just go hang out with my mates at the local cafe and pray, and Jesus is there, the Holy Spirit is there. That is not what this verse means. And I know we use it like that a lot. Jesus is talking about this process for peacemaking and reconciliation that happens within the context of a local church. That's That's how we have to understand. The two or three people that can claim the authority and the presence of Jesus are the people who are inside and a part of the local church. And they've been duly recognized as members by those who are leading that church. So that brings us to our final passage today, which Neil did read, and this is from this Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The writer of Hebrews says this to Christians. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. So this is the third passage that I think points us in the direction of church membership, that every Christian should aim to become a member of a healthy, Christ-exalting local church. This command is in the Bible. This command to obey your leaders and submit to them. It's a command. It's in the Bible, so we should pay attention. And, here's the, and, and, and you, the, the assumption here is, without being too pedantic, is that you know, if you obey your leaders, it assumes that there are leaders for you to obey. And who are these leaders? Is it the Pope? Is it the the podcast that you listen to? Are you to obey and submit to them? No, I don't think that's what the writer means. The book of Hebrews was not written to a specific church, so it's not just specific to one church. It's for all Christians to call to obey and submit to your leaders. Here at City Light South Church, we believe that God has set apart certain men according to the qualifications of scripture in places like 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 5. And we call those men elders or, or pastors. The words elder and pastor mean the same thing uh, in the New Testament. And and so these are people who meet those qualifications, who have said, yes, we are willing to serve in this way. Some, sometimes these, these elder pastors are um, volunteer elders, such as as Tyson, sometimes they're paid elders such as myself. And our role is to be like shepherds, to bring the, the goodness of, of God's word and the gospel to you and apply it to you and help you to understand it and, and live by it and feed on it and, and rejoice and be happy in it. That's why we do what we do. That's what elders are meant to do. And here it says that we are going to give an account to God. In in Hebrews 13, we're going to give an account for your soul. Not because it's our job to save you. No, that's Jesus' job, and he's done that very well without us, without our help. We're going to give an account for you in how we bring the word of God to you, how we encourage you, how we challenge you if we see areas where you need to grow or, or repent, how we... Um, serve you if you have needs, how we point to Jesus, how we live out what it means to be a Christian ourselves and say, follow me as I follow Christ. When we assume that title of pastor or elder, we're assuming that responsibility, and we are accountable for your soul. And so one of the reasons we, again, want to establish this idea of formal membership is that we want to know who it is that we're accountable for. And we want you to know who it is that you're accountable to. Who who are the leaders that God has put in your life for this season, whether it's a short season or a long season? Who are the men and women that God has put in our lives as elders to pray for, to labor for, to be accountable for, for this season? So that's that's why I believe when I say, Church membership isn't just biblical; we see it in these passages, but it's also beneficial. It's beneficial for the leaders of a church. It's beneficial for the members of a church. Uh, He says here in the verse, he says, um, "Submit and obey um, to them, so that their leadership, their shepherding, their service to you is a joy to them, because and not a grief. For if it was like if we were if we were sad in the way that because of." how people, you know, people were not um, being willing to follow and, and willing to listen in some ways, then he says, though, that would be, if that was the case here, that would be unprofitable or unbeneficial to you. So there's a way when this is done well, when, when leaders are leading with humility and grace and, and godliness and members are following and listening with, with humility and, and, and grace and godliness, when that's done well, that benefits everybody, That's for our collective joy. And it overflows onto every single individual. And that's what we want to see here. And that's why we say church membership is both biblical and beneficial. So, in that Hebrews passage we read, Submit to the leaders of your local church so that they can care for your soul with joy because the alternative is unprofitable. It's unbeneficial doesn't mean, to say that it's beneficial and biblical, doesn't mean it's easy. Church membership is not easy. It's beneficial. And this is an area where we have to sometimes just trust the wisdom of God and not our own wisdom, particularly if your or my past experience with church membership has been harmful or hurtful or abusive. And I do want to acknowledge that again. If that's your story, I would love to just be able to come alongside and pray with you, and 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 pray continually pray for you. But I guess my my sort of invitation to you is that please don't let a really negative and hurtful past experience um, mute and 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 sort of pour cold water on the benefit that God, I believe, wants to put into your life as a result of submitting to his word, not to us as much as it's first submitting to him and his plan here. So that's the application of the message today. It's just this invitation to consider belonging to a local church, either this local church or another, um, and do that in submission to scripture and for your own joy. Um, So what does it mean to become a member of a local church? Well, just four things quickly. Um, It means committing yourself to a group of Christians who you know and who know you, a particular group of people. You're all in. You're not saying that me, I am the center of God's plan. It's, it's, It's we. We are in this together for our joy. Second, by becoming a member of this church, you commit yourself to be led by flawed men who fear God. That's that's the aim. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means that by God's grace, he uses imperfect people to lead and to minister and to serve in his church. Third, by becoming a member of this church, you're committing to the joy and the flourishing of not just the elders and the discipleship group leaders, but to every uh, man and woman and their households who are members of this church. It's one thing to, you know, respond to needs and, and pray, promise to pray for people when stuff comes up. But membership is a way of doing more than that. It's saying, we I am for you. My posture is for you. Whether, that mean, whether your situation in life is going really well and cruisy or it's just been one, you're taking one hit after another. In any, what, whatever the season is for you, we are for you. We're for each other. And finally, um, becoming a member of the local church means that you are committing to your own spiritual gain. It's a little bit like that passage in he- Ephesians 5 that sometimes we preach at weddings where, where Paul says, he says, if, you, if you're a husband, it is to your advantage to love your wife. He says, because she's a, she, you're one flesh. You're, you're actually one body together. And so the one who loves his wife loves his own body. Same thing is true here. The one who Loves the members of the church, loves his own body. It, it, is, it is a form of self-care to love the members of your local church. When every part of the body is committed to Jesus and to the body, then we all reap the benefits. So that's a quick review of some of the benefits of church membership for you. You get a family people who know you and love you, and you get to know them and love them deeply. You get a group of leaders whose aim is to love you into flourishing in Jesus. You get to participate in the joy and flourishing of all the other members, and the body participates in your personal joy and your flourishing in Jesus. So can I invite you to pray and commit to this? I know you, you still have questions and concerns, and, and that's why we want to meet with you individually. Even if you're just like, yep, I'm all in. Don't have to think about it. I'm just ready, ready to go now. Just want to take the box. We still want to meet with you. We still want to hear your story, how you came to know Jesus, how you um, w- w- want to serve in this church. We want to do that face-to-face. We don't want to just do that over a, like a tick box form. Um, and having said that, I'm going to link you to a tick box form, but that is going to initiate the personal stuff that we want to, we want to do. We want you to flourish, and we want to see that happening so we can pray for you, so we can come alongside you. Um, we're a family, and we say that. It's, we don't just want to say that on the website. It's not a marketing thing. You know, we want that to be really true, that we want to be doing life together. That's who we are by God's grace. So let's all strive to receive these benefits and be the family of God that he wants us to be. Let's press in to belong first to him, and to each other for his glory and our collective joy. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that when we submit to your word rightly, when we understand it and then submit to it, Lord, we have joy. That doesn't mean we have an easy life, but it means we have the joy that you have promised to us. God, help us to be thinking both of our own joy, but also of the joy of every member of this church and of the global body as well. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being a part of a local church here in Christie's Beach, South Australia. Lord, may it be that you continue to help us be fruitful and multiply um, in this area and beyond for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at
1: citylightsouth.org.au.